0: First thing is, hey, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Melissa. I'm on staff with Chi Alpha. Yep. Best job ever. This is my ninth school year on staff with Chi Alpha here at Central. And that kind of makes me feel old when I say that because I kind of always think, oh, I just graduated college a few years ago. But apparently math says it's been a few more. Um, I married a Tony who's also on staff. And I can't point him out tonight like normal because he's home with our two kids. By the way, we have two kids, and that actually makes me feel old because, you know, I'm always tired. Um, Tyler is almost two and a half, and Annabelle is almost four months old. This is a family picture from last month, and uh, just so you guys know what it's really like trying to take nice pictures with little kids, I just got you a few of the derpy outtakes. Um, This is just three back-to-back. There's, like, more, you know, if somebody's not spitting up, mostly the baby we're not trying to like point at dumb trucks on University Way, mostly the toddler. It's not the photographer's fault. Brandon did great. We just have children. Uh, also, if anybody knows parenting tactics other than bribery, just let me know. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> so anyway, as we get going tonight, um, can we get those Bibles passed out, please? If you'd like to uh, use a Bible tonight, just raise your hand up a little bit. You can borrow it for tonight's message or keep it forever. It's up to you. And as those are going around, one of the things that's important, if you were to get to know me, is to know that Global Missions is a deep, deep love and value in my heart. When I started college, which apparently was a lot of years ago, um, I came into college already set on being an overseas missionary. I got a public health degree so that I could get into lots of different countries that God might call me to. I minored in Spanish so I could have language skills. Um, and I went on a lot of mission trips, to lots of different parts of our country and around the world. And I'm so thankful for those experiences in my life of traveling overseas um, because they shape my character and my faith in so many profound ways over those college years. I found that just going abroad challenges my, your assumptions and your worldview because you're like face-to-face with other humans who live and act in some ways similar and in some ways super different than we do here it kind of taught me that America doesn't have the corner on godliness or the corner on the best values ever, um, but we can see God's heart reflected in so many diverse cultures that he's created all over the world. doesn't mean that we're doing everything wrong, but there are some things that other con- I've seen valued other countries that um, I started to realize uh, I want to start valuing more myself. And one of the many countries that has forever stolen part of my heart is Haiti. One small cool thing about going to Haiti is experiencing a rainstorm. Um, Because there, it's not like Seattle rain. When it rains, it dumps, which is super fun. It's made for a lot of great Caiofa dance parties overseas. Um, But one year, I think it was my second trip to Haiti, it rained really hard. And in the village up in the mountains where we were uh, ministering at an orphanage, nothing's paved. So it's just all dirt. So dirt plus rain equals mud, I think. Go science. Um, And so we were supposed to, our team was supposed to go down and spend the evening with the kids in the orphanage. And this wasn't our first time going to see the kids. We'd already been there. We already knew them a little bit. Um, But when we arrived to the orphanage on this evening during the rainstorm, things were different. First of all, it was dark, really dark. They mostly relied on the sunlight for their light, because it's like light there all the time, um, except for at night. So the darkness from the storm was really, really weird. Secondly, the kids were really different. Most of the time, when our team would walk into the orphanage gates, we'd be bombarded by craziness children jumping on us, others starting to braid our hair, even the guys sometimes. Um, We were being pulled between, like, a dancing game, which I suck at, and soccer, which I'm good at. Um, And the kids are just, like, all over you, which is awesome. But on this day when we walked in, the kids were quiet and somber. One little girl came up and grabbed my hand. They did this for each of our team members from our Chi trip. And this little girl came up and led me by my hands over to this other group of kids. She was all silent. Um, And these little kids took the shoes off my feet, and I tried to, like, protest, you know, without totally speaking their language or them totally speaking English, but they just insisted. They took my shoes off, and one of the little boys just immediately, like, relay, ran them over to another group of kids who had a little station set up to wash all of our shoes. And while I saw that unfolding, another little girl just started washing my feet, just rubbing, washing, scrubbing, that's what I meant, all the mud and dirt off of them. And that moment was just difficult, because I just like, started feeling all the feels. I felt humbled, I felt embarrassed, I felt like this was wrong, like these little kids were muddy from head to toe, and yet they were taking care to wash every little speck of dirt off of my feet and ankles. And if the little kid who was the appointed washer missed a speck of dirt, all the other little kids huddled around who were inspecting his work, um, they like pointed it out and would nag him until the speck was gone, so you better believe we were getting the real treatment. But to me, in that moment, it felt really wrong to have this little posse of kids who I had flown to their country and raised money and come to serve them. It felt wrong for them to be obsessing over getting my feet perfectly clean. Why were they serving me like this? Shouldn't I be the one washing them? And once they were done, then each of us team members was allowed to go walk onto the clean floor in the middle part of the orphanage. And the kids had, like, meticulously laid out all of our shoes to dry, which was really cute. And we eventually played and did our skits and taught them from the Bible and did the stuff that we come there to do that night. But I found that for the whole rest of our week there, our relationship with the kids was really different. Um, We were bonded in a way that hours of soccer and hair braiding, which is just really painful, um, and dancing and all of that hadn't accomplished. Because of how they served us and how we were just in a position of total vulnerability, all you can do is just receive their love when you can't totally speak the same language. Um, It made us really bonded in a deep way. This was us with the orphanage kids at the end of the week. And 10 years ago, Melissa is in the blue shirt there. Um, But anyways, tonight we're continuing our series on character. We're looking at what God's character is like and what our character is becoming like as his people. So tonight we're going to be checking out a story in the book of John, which is way over to the right in your Bibles. So if you turn with me, we're going to be reading John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was already in progress, yum, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the, t- the meal "'took off his outer clothing, "'and wrapped a towel around his waist. "'After that, he poured water into a basin "'and began to wash his disciples' feet, "'drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. "'He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' "'Jesus replied, "'You do not realize now what I am doing, "'but later you will understand.' "'No,' said Peter, "'you shall never wash my feet.' "'Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash you, you have no part with me.' "'Then Lord,' Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, what does this story teach us about God's character? What are some things that we notice about God's character in this passage? There's three main uh, points that I I saw in this text tonight. And the first one is, washing us is key to Jesus' identity and purpose. Let me show you what I think is the most powerful word in this passage. It's the start of verse 4. It's two little letters. So. S plus O. Why is this word so powerful? What does the word so mean here? This word just takes an atom bomb to my assumptions as a 21st century American. In our world, you would think the sentence would go like this. Jesus knew he was all-powerful, and he had all the authority in the universe, and he had come from God and was returning to God, but he got up and served. He served even though he knew his high, exalted, royal position, even though he knew his infinitely supreme identity, even though he knew those things were true, he served his friends anyway. Maybe as a a publicity stunt or a photo op, but either way, we would think that that action is inconsistent with his position rather than a natural expression of it. Our world assumes but. But God says so. So what does this tell us? The fact that Jesus knew all of who he was, all the power at his disposal, that was the reason and the motivator that he chose to serve by. Jesus serves us because of who he really is, not in spite of who he really is. So. So means that this is a culmination of Jesus' identity and power being expressed in an intentional way, a way that's consistent with who he is as God, not opposite who he is as God. So it tells us that God's character is servant-hearted, which is what we're going to be studying tonight. And friends, unlike any God in any other religion, unlike any other ruler or king on the planet, Jesus is the God. Jesus is the ruler who serves his people. Let's flip over to the right in our Bibles, even more to the right, Um, to one of my most favorite passages ever, which some of you guys know is Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to check this out a couple times tonight, but right now I'm just going to read verses 5 through 11. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing So why this passage? What does this passage in Philippians 2 tell us? It tells me that Jesus' servant action that we just read about in John 13, that wasn't just a one-off occurrence. It wasn't just a day that he was in a super unique, generous mood where he felt extra benevolent or was in the holiday spirit. He probably had coffee all the time, because obviously. Um, <laughs> Verses 6 through 8 of, of Philippians 2, they tell us that Jesus' servant nature was foundational in he and the father's entire plan of sending him to earth in the first place. And it was foundational in everything he would do on earth. So long before our scene in John chapter 13, where we see Jesus disrobe of his outer clothing and wrap himself in a towel around his waist, Jesus had already done a way more ultimate servant act when he disrobed of his heavenly glory and wrapped himself in humble skin. Because his mission was to come live among those of us in humble skin. He came to redeem humans and, and show us the image of God and eventually glorify us. Jesus became like us so we could have a shot at becoming more like him. Jesus, who is God, he downsized his incomprehensible divinity into a human body forever so that he could reach us, so that he could bring those 12 guys whose feet he washed into God's family, so he could bring you and I on this campus into his family. I often say this, he became God and bod so that we could be united with God again. So if you've ever wanted an extra bold act of love to make you feel super special, every day is Valentine's Day, but way better, when you remember this crazy thing that Jesus did for you thousands of years ago. He became like us forever so that we could become like him. He came to live with us, to die for us, and so he could bring many of us back into God's family. So what kind of a God is the God of the Bible? What kind of a God is Jesus? His character is servant-hearted through and through. He is a God who serves us. So knowing that, how do we respond to a God who serves us? This brings us to our second point to look at tonight. Unless he washes us, we have no part in him. Jesus says that in verse 8 of John 13. Jesus says we have to let him wash us. Let's go back to John 13 and follow follow Peter's journey of responding to the God who serves us. Check out verses 6 through 10, back in John 13. Jesus came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Did you guys see that in verses 6 and 8? Peter is right there next to me in the orphanage in Haiti. He is right there appalled at the idea that his king, his esteemed, respected rabbi, who he also knows is the son of God and the Messiah sent to save humanity, he's appalled that that God would stoop so low as to wash his nasty feet, And that's the job that the lowliest servant in that culture did. And before we think that it's no big deal to wash your feet, like, whose feet are really dirty tonight? Probably not that many of us because we're wearing shoes. Um, But think about it. Those guys hiked through the desert all day, every day. And those of us who have gone on the trip to Jordan and hiked in Petra for 10 some miles, you know your feet have never been dirtier than that 10 miles in the sand. I had to get rid of my sandals because there was no way to redeem them after that trip. Um, It was sad, but... Literally, it, is, it really destroys your feet. That combination of sweat and sand sounds like mud to me on these guys' feet. And so that's why it was the lowliest servant's job to wash people's feet, because they actually needed it more often than they needed a bath. <coughs> so Peter's experiencing a lot of the same feelings that I felt on the muddy orphanage floor in Haiti. Embarrassment, humility, injustice, at the thought that his master would disgrace himself by serving Peter in that way but he probably feels it even more than I did because the one washing his feet is infinitely greater than those precious kids in Haiti. He's the son of God, the firstborn of all creation, the image of the invisible God. He's the one who deserves the highest seat of power in all of creation. Jesus legit deserves that place of honor. And yet what does Jesus show us is his character in the story. Even though he deserves to be served by us, God is our servant-hearted God. He first serves us. So again, what did Jesus say to Peter? Second half of verse 8, he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So what is Jesus saying to us by this? Well, we already learned that God is a God who serves us, it's foundational to his nature as God to do so. God's character is servant-hearted. But here I think we learn that Jesus needs to not just be a God who serves people in general, but for you and me to become his people, he has to be our God who serves us. Jesus says to Peter and to you and I tonight, I need to become your servant. In order to really know me and be identified with me, you have to let me serve you first. To really be, ex- be experienced and be transformed by my love, you've got to let me wash it over you from head to toe. It's not just a theory to know at arm's length but keep it safe. It's something true and personal and vulnerable. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. So letting Jesus serve us by washing us, that's the prerequisite for becoming his people. It's the inescapable process for becoming clean. This is how we become clean and holy, is this moment, letting Jesus wash us. And I'm not just talking about dirty feet from the Middle East or Haiti, but I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the brokenness of our human condition, about everything we hate the most about ourselves and the stuff we can't change from our past and our present. Jesus needs to wash us of everything so that we can really be clean. And friends, I think that this statement, this is key to the gospel. We live in a fast-paced, do-it-yourself, be-all-you-can-be, me self made American life. We're working hard. We're improving ourselves. We're busy—at least looking busy, if nothing else. Um, but what does the gospel say? It says that there needs to be a holy interruption to our American, but not godly, pace and method of life. If we want to be anything other than just busy people, if we want to become a holy child of God, we have to stop. There's got to be that moment where we stop trying, where we stop all of our frantic doing, stop trying to become enough on our own. Because the good news of God's grace, the gospel, requires that we stop and admit, I'm just not enough. I can do a lot of things to, to, su- to succeed in school. Who knew that was going to be hard? I can do a lot of things to do well in society, but I cannot make myself holy. I can DIY my coffee table, but I cannot DIY my salvation. I can DIY a birthday party, but I can't DIY freedom from the sin and shame haunting me from my past. I can't self-help my way out of temptation. If you've tried, you know you can get a little bit, but not enough. I can't self-help my way out of being a person I don't want to be and doing stuff I don't want to do. I cannot bring myself to God. So what does the gospel prescribe us to do? God's grace tells us to stop and turn to God. God, come rescue me. God, scoop me out of the muddy pit I've gotten my life into. God, save me, make me new. I can't do that, but Jesus, you can. I got the image that we just, like, raise our hands up like a little kid in a bathtub, facing their parent with their arms up, just being like, you who can, wash me. I had to cut out my stories um, for the sake of time, but I have a lot of experience bathing children, and they can't do anything on their own other than (laughs) splash you and pee in the water. Um, But back to serious business. This is a gospel-critical moment, and we can't be saved without it. Um, Like I mentioned, I've been to just several different places of the world, not everywhere, but a few, and I've seen people in so many different ways striving to serve God or Buddha, whoever they hope is out there and is going to save them if if they're good enough. My heart broke in Asia at Buddhist temples, watching people take off their shoes and bow and light incense and offer fruit and try all kinds of superstitions, hoping someone out there will listen if they're lucky enough. My heart broke in the Middle East, watching people try to be different during Ramadan, trying to do enough good works to tip the balance more in favor of salvation than eternal destruction, but they never know if they do or not. My heart breaks because I know Jesus, described in John 13, is saying, you don't have to live in fear or wonder anymore if you're doing enough to serve whatever God you think is out there. I am God. The way to be saved is to let me serve you. Let me wash you and make you clean. Then you never have to wonder anymore. Friends, this is really good news. And even for a few of us who may have grown up as Christians since we were little kids, some of us still try to be good and earn our ticket to heaven on our own, thinking, I don't want to bother God. I've thought these things. I'll just say that. I don't want to bother God. I'll just try to, like, be kind and serve other people, worship God, do the right stuff, and not make him have to deal with me because he has, like, billions of people to worry about but that's not how we come into his family. That's not how we get out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. There's just no legit path to God that goes around this moment that spares us from the uncomfortable necessity of just simply raising our arms and saying, Jesus, you who can, wash me. Because any other option would keep our pride, it would spare us from that discomfort, but it would keep us from being made holy. What's worth more, our comfort or our holiness? So Peter heard this message from Jesus, and I love Peter so much, he just jumped all in and said, okay, Jesus, give me the full treatment, suds me up, I'll take it all. He's like at the car wash hitting the deluxe undercarriage treatment during the summer. (laughs) I love Peter, and his faith and humility to just respond all into Jesus, I think is part of why Jesus said, on you, I'm going to build my church. But tonight, friends, how do we need to respond to the God who serves us? How do you need to respond to the God who serves you, to the God who washes you? A couple ideas. Maybe some of us need to let him wash you and make you his own for the first time. If you're in that place, talk to God about it tonight, even right now. You don't have to listen to me anymore. It doesn't take any certain words. It just takes you entering that moment where you turn your focus to Jesus and express that you can't save yourself. Pages are like super glued together, so hold please. Tell Jesus that you can't save yourself, but you're asking him to do it. He's already said that if we confess with our mouth who he is and we believe in him and turn and follow him, he'll meet you, he'll save you, he'll make you a new creation. For others of us, maybe you just need to stop all that crazy striving and just remember, again, this truth of the gospel. Are you trusting in Jesus to make you enough, or are you trying to be enough on your own? Are you trying to manufacture your holiness? If that's the place that you're in, remember that he who washed you once is still the only one who washes you every day to make you clean and holy. So return to that place of humble dependence on him. Leave all the DIYing for Pinterest and for your furniture, and let Jesus make you a new creation, not just once at the foot of the cross, but every single day as you walk with him as his disciple. Last thing I thought of for this part, maybe some way to uh, to respond to Jesus um, Maybe there's something in your life right now that if the light were to shine in on it, if Jesus, like, peeked into your room late at night with his super illuminating flashlight, he'd be like, ooh, that isn't proper for you, my child. That isn't holy. That's the tactics of the enemy. The enemy's the darkness, the thief. He's trying to entice you to sin and bondage. I want to set you free. I want to call you to the better way of holiness. Get out of bed with that person in that relationship. Get off that Internet site. Burn all bridges to a life driven by lust, which is the enemy to truly satisfying love. Get those words or that show or that music out of the brain that I'm trying to purify. I don't know what Jesus would would say to you tonight, but if there's something coming up in your brain, then he would love to wash all of us every single night, every single time. Listen, none of us have ever been perfect on our own. That's why we need a God who serves us, a God who washes us. He washes us every day as we read his word. That's the Bible. And that's what Chi Alpha messages are and core and one-on-ones and church messages that's what Jesus did at Fall Retreat, right? He washes us in His word. He reveals the junk of the world and the lies of our culture, and he puts his truth back in our minds. He keeps making us new and needing us more and more into His image, washing out the junk of the past and making us a new creation that looks more and more like him. So do you need Jesus to wash you of anything tonight? The third point third observation from our text in John 13 is, how do we now live as His washed people? We live as joyful servants. This is from verse 14 where he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So as Jesus daily serves us and washes us, he changes us into his image. He moves our life out of being self-centered into being um, servant-heartedly loving God and other people. So just like we're brought into God's family by relating to Jesus in humility, we continually live in God's family by relating to other people in humility, too. So is servant-hearted love the heartbeat of your life? Is it the pacemaker of your thoughts, your speech, your actions, your motives? As people who are imaging God's character, our character is to be, keep becoming more and more servant-hearted. Uh, there's three specific practice fields that I thought of of how we can keep growing in servant-hearted love this is the funny one roommates that's the best one roommates are one of the best practice fields don't start looking at each other right now it'd be awkward <laughs> um that's one of the best practice fields for becoming more and more like Jesus roommates I don't want to make eye contact so I'm just gonna look at my notes do you keep score of whose turn it is to do the dishes do you keep score or evaluate if you should do the dishes based on what's fair hmm that sounds American but not at all biblical 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just looking at the notes. I don't want to see anybody's face right now. (laughs) Me and Tony are still going through that. Anyways, 1 Corinthians 13 says love keeps no record of wrongs. In fact, if Jesus was living by what was fair, he wouldn't have ever gone to the cross in the first place. It was servant-hearted love rather than fairness that prompted him to pursue the farthest reaches of how far he could go in love for us. Precisely when it wasn't fair. So let's go back, uh, like I said, to Philippians 2. Verses 1 through 18. And I'm going to read the verses that I didn't read before. The middle portion that I already said, that was all about Jesus' example. But the sandwich ones on the start and the end, those are all about how it applies to us, which sounds helpful. So Paul's writing to a group of believers like us, so it sounds relevant. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Down to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything. I hate when there's those words are so absolute. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is a great text to read daily for some humility boot camp. It's like a spiritual smack in the face of our selfishness. Did you notice he said stuff like do nothing out of self-focused ambition, out of self-centered conceit? Instead, value everybody else above yourself. Do everything based on serving other people's interests rather than your own interests like Jesus did. Do everything without grumbling or complaining or whining or venting or being passive-aggressive. Dang, that sounds like a pretty black and white list. Like, no complaining. Oh, so hard when you have little kids. No more talking the way that the world talks or whining the way that worldly roommates would whine. But instead, we're supposed to just be busy perfecting the servant-hearted love that Jesus lived. Now, I want to just clarify that servant-hearted, godly love is not the same thing as becoming a doormat. Oftentimes, you will need to talk to your roommates or your friends about ways that they're not honoring their commitments or that they're hurting you. So if there's something that you need to be on, when there's something you need to be honest about, servant-hearted love looks like bringing it up to them face-to-face, person-to-person, without talking to the whole rest of the world before them talking to them honestly, wisely, rather than being passive-aggressive or gossiping or anything else that uh, we might do if we weren't following Jesus. But even through that process, our hearts can be filled up with wanting to serve and love them rather than filled up with bitterness or selfishness. Does that make sense? So it's not the same thing as being spineless. We have the integrity of Jesus in a very focused, intentional way where we're serving other people. So again, if we want to taste the better way of living, take up a challenge like this, roommates. Roommates. How can you bless your roommate once every day or every week? Do it like a ninja of Jesus' love. That might be doing their dishes or making lunch for them or leaving them an encouraging note. When you know a person, it's really easy to start thinking about things that would bless them. Second uh, way that this applies, how does this apply to core groups? Well, do you evaluate if you're going to go to core or one-on-ones or Chi Alpha based on what's in it for me thinking? Um, Am I going to get a better offer coming along? Even as a facilitator on staff, 6 p.m. before CORE, my brain would start thinking of all these really creative reasons not to go to CORE. I don't know if anybody else can relate or if it's just me, but our brains are so funny and so creative, and I just laughed and said, Melissa, you're going to CORE. You're the facilitator. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm saying is there's infinite potential for stuff like that, but how do we follow Jesus? We should think, like, who can I serve? Who could I encourage at CORE tonight? How could I, like, add to our conversation, not to make myself sound super cool, but so that I can help draw out the quiet peeps? How can I help our conversation be unified and honoring to Jesus? One tiny aside specific way, the Bible talks a lot about spiritual gifts, like when God's people gather together, he can help us be UPS delivery people of God's grace for each other. As we yield to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, as we grow in servant-hearted love, you can just ask him to fill you up with some grace for other people, like fill you up to overflowing, so you can have something to give to somebody else. He'll do that right before your eyes because he's good. There, it's like watching practical miracles right before your eyes. Is he just like gives you a verse, and then you're supposed to share it, and then the person's like, "Oh my gosh," and you know? Like, that's not really the best example, but <laughs> I didn't write that down. Um, but the point is, there's so many ways that going to core and one-on-ones and Kai Alpha just get more and more and more and more awesome and exciting when we keep trading out our glasses of self-focused consumerism for glasses of other-focused generosity. So whenever possible, serve other people by doing homework way ahead of time or way after time, but go to core with your heart preheated to just serve and love everybody else. Lastly, I had a whole section on dating and marriage that I had to cut for the sake of time, Um, but let me just say a little tiny bit. Practicing Jesus' humility and servant-hearted love now in the single years, that's the best practice ever for developing the character you're going to want for a godly marriage. And let alone parenting, where all you do is serve little people who can't serve you back. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think that that's part of God's plan. Like, roommates in college, oh, that's easy. Marriage, harder. Little children, not going to talk about it right now. <laughs> um, so many poopy diapers today. But um, God is trying to move us throughout our whole lives out of self- Selfish lives to the ones who serve others with uh, a servant-hearted that. I just want to say that I'm really glad God took me on a multi-year journey of trying to learn this kind of love in college way before Tony and I ever started dating. And he prepared me for marriage by stuff like going on mission trips, like spring break outreach and summer missions, by serving Chi Alpha by behind-the-scenes stuff like pre-prayer and set-up and tear-down teams, those things are like CrossFit for servant-hearted love because nobody sees you do it except for the other people on the team. He challenged me to meet with people in my core who didn't know Jesus as well and like read the Bible together. He challenged me to think of things like my time and money and car and knowledge and whatever, to think of that stuff as resources to serve other people with rather than my own stuff to hoard. He challenged me to be a faithful friend who could make and keep commitments Gee, doesn't that sound like a helpful quality for marriage? But how many people in our culture live like they value that at all? You don't become marriageable at the altar like you build it beforehand. That's a freebie. It's important. Anyway, as God challenged me to grow in these ways of loving others servant-heartedly rather than self-gratifyingly, he gave me the conviction that that's the only type of person I would want to marry someday, where we could have a Philippians 2 type of servant-hearted love. And I'm glad that I didn't settle for less, but spent my single years practicing, I had a lot of single years, practicing this type of love in the ways that I mentioned with roommates and friends and teammates on mission trips and people in core. So I'm still really far from perfect as parenting shows me every day. Um, But God keeps pressing us as his washed people to move away from selfish life and to move into joyfully serving those around us. So as we close tonight, worship team, you can come on up. I just want to ask all of us to think about what has Jesus been saying to you tonight? What does he want to wash you of? What does he want you to start doing to become more like his servant-hearted self? Here's some specific ways that I thought of that we could respond tonight. First is to think about if there's something that you need Jesus to wash you of tonight. Second, ask for prayer from somebody around you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to each other, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means if there's something that you want Jesus to wash you of, and number one, ask a friend to pray for you about it. And Jesus will work through our prayers. And bonus, praying for each other is totally a way to keep practicing servant-hearted love to each other. So let's do a lot of that praying for each other tonight. Because I'm sure we all have ways that we can keep growing and being washed by Jesus. Uh, third thing I thought we could respond to is or respond with is plan a way to keep growing in God's servant hearted love. I mentioned a lot already, but a few ideas to close: you commit to reading a Bible passage like Philippians two or something else every day. You could commit to serving your roommate or your classmate or friend, just like a Je- Jesus ninja, like I talked about earlier. You could meet a a need in our world. Like Amanda's message last week, there are so many social justice needs all around us that need people with compassionate action to meet those needs. You could uh, do commitment CrossFit. That means that there are so many disciplines that we could keep every single week that grow servant-hearted love. Like I mentioned, core, one-on-ones, mission trips, set up teardown team, going to pre-prayer before Kai Alpha, meeting with somebody in core or an international student to learn more about Jesus. Whatever God's putting in your head tonight, um, just write it down in your journal and your phone. Write down what you're planning to start and commit it to God and commit it in prayer tonight. So I'll pray to close us. Lord Jesus, um, we just don't deserve the kind of God you are, but I am so thankful that you are a God who serves us, that you are the God who disrobed of, of that infinite divinity so that you could be like packaged into a human body and come and show us the image of the invisible God that you could show us what God is like, and you could ultimately die for us and pay the penalty that none of us could ever pay for ourselves. You wash us, and we are clean, and we are new, and I praise you for that, that in your family, we never have to wonder if we're saved, that we never have to wonder how we're going to get out of sin or how we're going to, um, like, get what needs to be done. You, you're faithful, and you're our provider, so God, I just pray that um, you would just speak to every single one of us tonight that whatever we need to be washed of or filled up with or whatever you need to speak to us, Lord, um, would you just speak it to every single person? Because you are so faithful, Jesus. You're so kind and so gentle and so good. And I just pray that you would really glorify yourself through how each of us pray and process tonight and love each other by praying for each other. So pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.